Welcome to Protecting Your Assets, the show about protecting people, property, and most importantly, protecting your ass. I'm your host, Lucky Luciano, and I'd like you to join me for a fast-paced and often fiery discussion about security issues with my co-host, Brian the Angry Man Claimant. Whether we're piercing the veil of security, talking your duty of care, or raving about the latest technology, we'll share our thoughts on the issues, the trends that are impacting security today and into the future. So grab a coffee and join us for our latest podcast every second Monday. And don't forget to like and follow us on our sponsor's website, brianclayman.com. And now let's talk about protecting your assets. Welcome to Protecting Your Assets. I'm Lucky Luciano, and with me, as always, is Brian the Angry Man Clayman. Today, we're going to have an interesting discussion on intelligence and its value and role in the in the in the world of business. But before that, I want to take a couple of minutes to first of all thank our listeners. We're getting some great feedback from uh, from our followers on on our content and um, the dynamics that we bring to to the podcast, and we thank you for that. We're, we're working hard to improve it as we move forward here. And uh, before we get into the actual topic of the day, I'm going to turn it over to Brian, as usual, to see what's what's keeping him up at night these days uh, since we last talked. Brian? Yeah, Luke, uh, on the top of, uh, topic of intelligence, I want to sort of uh, talk about the lack of intelligence that we tend to be seeing from the United States right now. I'm just amazed with the stuff that I'm reading in the newspaper and seeing on TV about this uh, brewing scandal with the post office. I guess with COVID and so many people not wanting to get out and to be in crowded places, they're anticipating there'll be a lot of uh, mail-in ballots in this uh, session, this upcoming election. And rather than working hard to make sure that the post office is ready to deal with the increased volumes, it seems like the president is doing everything he can to make sure that the uh, mail-in ballot process doesn't work. He's saying it's full of corruption. He's saying it can't be relied upon. Apparently, the new postmaster general that's been uh, uh, selected or just put into uh, office is a uh, good friend of the president, someone who has no uh, understanding at all of postal operations, has no background whatsoever. I don't know where the intelligence is with that decision. If you think that they wanted to modernize or they wanted to make changes, that would be something they would do after the election, not in the weeks before the election and put everything at risk. Like, what do you think? I just don't know what's going on south of the border. Yeah, I don't know what the answer is to that. And, uh, you know, on, on my end, it's quite concerning seeing that country tear itself apart. You don't see any alternatives on, on the on the other side of the fence either. Uh, Biden's campaign is, is questionable at best. The guy refuses to talk in public. Uh, he, he forgets things when he does talk, so maybe that's part of the problem. But there's just no easy way out. I think they're in a. I think they're in a tailspin, and there's nobody willing to take control of the aircraft and figure out how to how to get out of that dive. I really don't. It's, yeah, uh, it's too bad. I, you know, it's almost like it's the end of an era. It's almost like the fall of the Roman Empire. Like I'm yeah. wondering if we're seeing the beginning of the end. You know, I uh, the European allies and partners have basically, I think, given up on the U.S. They're starting to give up on NATO, and hopefully they'll be able to pull something together because you see sort of a power grab right now, a power vacuum, where you've got the Chinese are going to try and take advantage. The Russians are making uh, moves. I can't figure out what's happening in North Korea. You know, when he's when they're quiet there, that sort of concerns me a little bit also. But there's a lot of movement going on. What also amazes me is... Uh, 
how the president seems to be pivoting. You know, COVID still is very much in the news. It's a real concern. I think uh, Dr. Tam, who's uh, with uh, our Canadian public health, you know, they gave some projections for the next uh, wave of COVID that could come in the fall, and they were pretty scary. Now, in fairness, I think they purposely wanted to wanted it to be scary because I think the message was not so much that this is what's going to happen. I think what they were trying to say is this is what could happen if we let our guard down, if we get too comfortable. We just have to look at what's happening south of the border. So I think she's right. You know, this thing can spiral out of control very, very quickly. So I don't know what the fall will bring. I guess we'll know very soon once we get into the school year, within a week or two, what happens with those numbers. But it's yeah. going to be some very interesting, um, challenging uh, times. It certainly will be. And then you talk about the school year, and that, that's where my head was at the last uh, last few few days, if not weeks, trying to see what their plans are to get back to school. And really, uh, you know, I get back to what we said at the start of the, the session where you talk about President Trump down there not knowing what he's doing, but then you look at our own internal affairs. Nobody has the right answer here. You see parents who will send their kids to school, parents who don't want to send their kids to school. You got teachers who don't want to go to school, some who are okay with going back to school. And really, it's a crapshoot. Uh, depending on which, which side of the fence you, you sit on, you really don't know. There's no guidance and no real direction. goes back to an earlier episode on clear communications. There is right. none. And, and I really wonder, you know, when I, you hear people are so animated both ways, wanting to go back to school and not wanting to go back to school. And I wonder how much of that is basically what is the right thing to do versus what works out for my personal needs. I yes. got to go to work. I can't That's get right. daycare. Let's get the schools open. Or I've got yep. grandma living at home with me. I'm a high-risk person. I don't want the kids going back to school. I, You know, I, I really wonder sometimes, and going back to communications, you know, that was an interesting uh, session we had a few weeks ago on the crisis communications, because I think, as you said in the intro, communications is sort of the essence of everything we do. It's the center of everything we do. But I sometimes ask myself when you hear the guidance that comes out from the authorities, from public health, from politicians, is it based on what's the right thing to do or what's the politically expedient thing to do? You know, like I have a lot of respect for uh, Doug Ford, our premier in Ontario, and the way he's handled the situation. But with this return to school, I'm just wondering, is this what the science says or is this what's needed to release the pressure or is this what is needed to make the constituents happy? I'm really not sure. And that makes me a little bit concerned because I'd rather know that, you know, we, the government uh, of Ontario, government of Canada, we're taking this position for this reason so that I can then evaluate it rather than wonder, is it the right thing to do or wrong? I'll give you a great example. I was talking to a friend the other day who just went in for a medical procedure and he was telling me, you know, years ago with my, when my father had the same procedure, he said he was in the hospital for two weeks. I went in, it was a day surgery, and I was out after a few hours, and I said, wow, advances in medical science are amazing. And then I thought for a second, is it advances in medical science, or is it the fact that they don't really have the money or the beds, and they just wanted to get you yeah. out? Like, what, right. what are we dealing with? We have to understand what is the decision based on, because that will allow us to evaluate. And with everything that's happening, now, the lack of uh, honesty, transparency, credibility, you talk about uh, Prime Minister Fancy Socks. I talk about uh, the man south of the border. Like, I don't know what motivates these guys. I don't yeah. know. Is it because Fancy Socks wants his wife to get a job or President Doofus wants to get reelected? You know, what's behind the decisions being made? 
Excellent segue into today's topic on intelligence, <laughs> figuring out where you're getting your information from and how you use that information to facilitate business. So, you know, I, I'm a big intelligence fan. I, I've, uh, as you know, I, I worked Intel for five years uh, back in the day when I was uh, carrying a badge and followed the, uh, the the mafia around, which is really exciting, fun stuff. But I've always liked intelligence, the role it's played in, throughout history, more so on the, obviously the historical military side. But Hey, today, today's world, it's all about business. And, and the only thing that changes is the, is the subject matter. The, the principles of intelligence stay the same. Um, and with that, you know, when I talk about intelligence, what's the difference between intelligence and information? To me, uh, as usual, I'll keep it simple. I know you're going to complicate it and probably talk about it for 10 minutes. But for me, the difference is simple. Information is just data. There is uh, the weather tomorrow. Um, and, and what makes it intelligence is when you, when you an- analyze that information, and it becomes useful to you. So not only do you know about tomorrow's weather, but you understand how that weather is going to impact your operations, for example. Then it becomes intelligence. How about you? How do you define it? What do you look at when you talk about intelligence? I think it's something that's intuitive to most of us, but we don't know we're doing it. What I mean by this is that if you're walking from point A to point B, if you're driving your car and you're going to work, okay, you have to look what's in the road in front of you and what are the hazards that are coming. I think intelligence is just the way you get things done. I uh, looked uh, online uh, at some definitions. In uh, when you think of intelligence, you think of James Bond and you think of spies. And I went to the CIA website, and basically they talk about intelligence as the product resulting from the collate, uh, uh, collection, evaluation, collation, interpretation, and analysis of all available information concerning the intentions capabilities and objectives of other countries or entities which are significant to a government's development and execution of plans, policies, decisions, and courses of action. Well, that's sort of government doublespeak, I guess, but basically what it means is knowing what's ahead, what's uh, on the road ahead. If you're a business and you want to open up a retail operation in a particular part of town, you have to do some intelligent gathering to understand Who's your competition in that part of town? If you're going to invest in build, uh, putting up a building, what is uh, what is the future for that neighborhood where your building is going? That's intelligence gathering so that you can make a proper decision. But I think most businesses don't do it properly. And I think it's something that we really have to get a better understanding of. It's got to be a bit more structured to bring value to the enterprise. Yes, I agree that intelligence is, is important, that most people do it on a daily basis, but I don't think people really understand its true value and businesses are starting to appreciate its value. I think intelligence takes on a different meaning when you actively look for it, to understand it, and to apply it to a certain um, objective. Otherwise, it's just other information. I drive to, I like to, to your point in your example, I'm driving to work. My objective is to get to work. So I only care about the information. To me, intelligence is any information that impacts my drive to get to work. But all the other information relating to that journey is irrelevant to me. I'm driving by a, a, a gas bar that has you know, a price on, on gas. I don't care about that. It's yeah. not relevant to me right now. What's relevant to me is where is the traffic flow getting to my office, for example. To me, the intelligence there is knowing about the traffic flow, not about the price of gas because it doesn't impact my, my, my ride that day. Yeah, no, you know, it pains me to say it, but I think you're right. I think it does have to. <laughs> I think Mark that does, one on the calendar. <laughs> yeah, it's not going to happen too often. But you're right. 
I, I think what we do is, and that's why I say it's intuitive, but it's intuitive in a raw state in that we're taking in, or, or not many of us anyway, some people walk around like zombies and bump into walls, yep, but most, most of, of us, us. <laughs> that's right. But I think we're taking in our environment and we're deciding what we need to know and what we don't. So for example, if I'm driving a car, I may see someone riding a bicycle, okay, off in the distance, and I don't get too concerned until that bicycle turns and starts coming towards the traffic. You're right when you say, though, it has to be a structured event. It has to be with a purpose. And another definition I sort of pulled, which I like, is it's the process of considering every possible risk that can affect the organization and to preemptively create a contingency plan, a response protocol, and communication strategy. So it's not being just a vacuum cleaner and vacuuming up everything you see, like the price of gas on the way in, because the price of gas on the way in is only important to you if you're planning to fill up your yeah. tank, if you got to get to work in 10 minutes for a meeting, it's not important and it could become a diversion. So you're right. It has to have a purpose. It has to have a charter, something that we're really big on. And, uh, you know, I talk a lot to our clients as you do to clients as well. And I think when we talk business intelligence or risk intelligence, it's about looking at the things that can adversely impact what your mission is. So if your mission is to protect the enterprise, okay, from insider threats, from outsider external threats, then intelligence is anything that can attack the enterprise, that could hurt the enterprise. If it was the price of plastic, and that has nothing to do with the risk protection mission, then it's just noise. Yeah. And so with that, I wanted to, to continue the discussion. So we understand, or we've been talking about what intelligence is, what we think intelligence is. Now I want to talk about some of the resources or places we look for that intelligence. Uh, because that's just as important as understanding the type of intelligence you're looking for is understanding where you're getting that information from to make those decisions. Yeah, so, okay. But before we go there, because I think that's important, there's just one more yep. thing I wanted to say. Because intelligence is a lot. It can mean so many different things depending on what it is you're trying to achieve. So I want to really tie it down to what the purpose of our podcast is, what we're about. We're security risk management guys. And really, I think for our purposes, Intelligence is really monitoring things that can affect the safety and security of an organization and looking at all sorts of sources, such as industry news, new regulations, changes in laws that can impact uh, supplier news, you know, supply chain in the case of security and security guards. What's happening in the industry? Uh, security threats. Uh, those things can affect businesses. Innovations, political changes, disasters, economic risks, cyber risks, cyber threats. So really, from the point of view of our discussion, I think that's the type of things that we need to focus on when you talk about uh, 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 intelligence within a business from a security risk management perspective. So now, continue about... <laughs> so so, can, so where the, the next step where you were going was basically, how does one do that? In-house? Commercial? So go ahead. How do you say? I'll correct you. Oh, my God. I'm going to turn it right back to you. How about you start it this time? Yeah, I'll pull you out. I'll, I'll say <laughs> again. Well, basically, there's two, you know there's several ways you can do it. Uh, there's a hard way and there's an easy way. The hard way is probably the better way, but it's hard. And the hard way is that a lot of organizations and big organizations, uh, organizations that have sophisticated security and risk management programs typically, have internal uh, intelligence groups. That really are looking at threat risk and they're looking at intelligence. And these are employees of the company that have expertise, either formally through education, through uh, special training, 
are coming from t- intelligence type agencies, retired intelligence analysts. Because I think you said earlier on, Luke, it's about not just getting the information, but it's analyzing the information. It's yeah. about validating the information. And that's a skill set. You just don't get that from watching TV. You ha- you know, you get that through formal training. So there's people that do it. There's organizations. I know that the banks do it. A lot of the big insurance companies do it. A lot of major corporations have in-house intelligence groups that are part of their security risk management organizations. But most companies tend to look at third-party providers. And more and more, there's a lot of very sophisticated companies out there that are providing intelligence services tailor-made to the needs of the client of the business that they're supporting with highly skilled, not only uh, intelligence analysts and people, but systems, uh, artificial intelligence. They've invested millions and millions of dollars, which is just really, in most cases, too hard to replicate to build an in-house uh, internal uh, organization. I would, uh, well, I, I agree with that, but I, in my experience, we've had some challenges with that. When you go third party, you have to be careful. Not that they're not good, certainly. There are some really good third party sources out there that, that I've used. But I think it's like when we talk about Guardian, you just got to do your homework and figure out who you're selecting and what they specialize in because they don't all specialize in the same things, first of all. But I have had some third party vendors where their capabilities were restricted by, by their own definition of what they considered intelligence. Maybe they were familiar enough with the property management uh, sector that 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 I was expecting them to, to monitor and manage. You know, they maybe they were overly focused on counter counterterrorism. We'll use that as an example because a lot of them focus on counter uh, on counterterrorism. As a as a property manager, it is important to us or was important to us, but it's not the be all and end all of everything that we were worried about. We were actually more worried about what was going on in the business world, what were our competitors doing, and so for some of those third parties to understand the business angle versus because to your point a lot of them are all ex-military ex-police i don't really care about the military and the odds of a tank driving into one of my buildings was zero so i really needed them to apply the same training and concepts but into a business environment and i think that's where a lot of them really struggled um, and that's where the clients need to really do their homework and understand who their their vendors are before going down that road because you'll find that a lot of them will give you a lot of good information but is it relevant to your business no you're entirely right you know like it's really it might be interesting to know what the north koreans are planning to do i don't know how relevant it is to some manufacturer that's situated in markham ontario Mm -hmm. so you really have to understand what are the threats to your business and if the threats to your business are the north koreans doing a cyber attack on your business then maybe you want that intelligence but often it may not i remember from the property management uh, years uh, that i was involved in Things like disruptions, such as demonstrations, such as uh, strikes. If there was a strike, uh, I have tenants that might be involved or impacted by adversity by a picket activity. That would be the type of intelligence I'd want to know. I'd want to know intelligence in respect to weather. Are we expecting a hurricane? Uh, COVID is a great example. You know, I've never worked for a healthcare uh, uh, organization in a medical uh, facility type environment, but COVID, a pandemic, has disrupted business, no matter what that business is. I mean, there's one uh, company that's become rather uh, busy and well-known recently. I'm not going to mention their name, but uh, they are looking at all sorts of risk and threats around the world, and they pride themselves on their early detection of uh, events that could be very disruptive. And in respect to COVID, they say on their advertising on their website on December 30th, when there were fewer than 10 suspected cases of COVID-19, 
alerted its clients that a new virus was beginning to spread in Wuhan, China. This was seven days before the first announcement from the U.S. government, weeks before the virus began dominating major, major media outlets. The issue is not so much that, you know, do we care about viruses? Do we care about North Korea's activities or Russian cyber uh, uh, operations? We do if it could adversely impact the business. And this type of uh, intelligence monitoring allows people to start identifying if this thing goes out of control, will it impact us? And it gives people enough time to start pivoting so that they don't get taken out in a uh, catastrophic way. Uh, you could do that internally, but even most of the internal shops at the banks and the big corporations are reliant on third parties because it is really difficult and costly. You've got to buy that information. You may have your own analysts and figure out, does it mean anything to my insurance company or my manufacturing environment? But the collection of the data, you're usually going to have to go off-site, third party to get that data. The crunching or analysis of the data, you might be able to do it in-house. Someone who knows the business in-house has to be involved with the vendor to understand, is it meaningful and impactful to the business? Yes, I agree <clears throat> that uh, you need you need to have that conduit who can translate what's coming into the business and make sense of it and then translate it to the right people in the business to be able to take action on that. I agree with what you've been saying up to now uh, when it comes to, to analyzing that information. You really do need um, an expert. There are analytical skills and expertise in, in, in how you gather up that information, how you assess it, and then change its format into a presentable manner that makes sense to the business so that they can make some, some decisions on that. I think one of the other challenges with intelligence in business, certainly, is how do we leverage that information and bring it into the conversation to the company? So what do I mean by that? For example, let's talk about G20 as, as an example. We had a lot of intelligence sharing and gathering going on uh, in the time span leading up to G20. And at that time, we got a lot of traction. There was a value for the business to listen because they knew that something big was coming. We knew that People were going to probably trash the downtown core, which they ended up doing. Um, and so the, it was easy to get that buy-in from, from the executives to say, you know, here's the intel we have. We think it's legitimate. We think there's going to be a problem, and we need to do these things. We need to spend this money to protect the company. But what, what do we do with intelligence in the absence of that threat? When, when they think that it's just an American issue, for example, how many times have we heard that? Well, that's the U.S. We don't have to worry about it up here. What are some of the tactics or strategies that you've used uh, successfully, obviously, to leverage intelligence into the business so that they can do what you want them to do for their own best interests? It's not that difficult. And I'll tell you why. If the purpose of uh, running an intelligence program is to identify things that have the potential to disrupt and harm the business, by definition, leadership should be interested in it. So G20 is an interesting example because it's very glamorous, it's sexy, it's, it's riots, it's, it's disorder, it's a, a big media event, okay? But anything that has the potential of hurting the company should get the attention of uh, the executives. The challenge is, I, I have found, you have to present it in a meaningful way. And I'll give you an example of something that may not be as sexy, and we all went through it in the security world in Ontario a few years ago. The security legislation, the rules about security guards changed. And then mm -hmm. the minimum wage after that changed yep. shortly thereafter. That's probably as dry as uh, chalk on, on, on a blackboard. It's not really exciting stuff. But the minimum wage change in Ontario profoundly impacted bottom lines and budgets. 
And it was up to managers to, to take that intelligence and to get in front of the uh, uh, business leaders to say, hey, our costs of security are going to go up 10 or 20 percent next year because of ABCD. And how we know this is because we're monitoring the landscape and the intelligence that we're starting to get from credible sources say this is uh, a high likelihood of happening a year, two years down the road. And we've got to start adjusting budgets accordingly. Now, you know, 10 or 20 percent increases may or may not sound a lot. But if you look at commercial real estate where a fair sized building, it's not hard to spend a million or two million dollars yeah. on security. Well, a 10 mm-hmm. percent increase on uh, two million dollars. If I do carry the one, the three, it's a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. you know? yep. So to get back to your question, how do you get the attention of the C-suite of the decision makers is that if intelligence meets the criteria, information that can have a profound impact uh, on the ability of the business to operate normally, that by definition should, is something that has to be brought to leadership. It's incumbent on the security director to have the skills and the business acumen to stick handle that. If he's unsuccessful, one of two things have gone wrong. Either the intelligence is faulty or not prepared properly in a way the business leaders can understand it, or he couldn't, del- he or she couldn't deliver the message properly. So it should never be a problem. There's a lot of intelligence that comes across my desk. There's a lot of stuff that's come across your desk over the years. Not all of it's worthy of going to the CEO of the company about. I needed to know about it. I have to do some pivoting and some adjustments, okay? But if it's going to be consequential you've got to get to senior leadership and senior leadership have to understand so that we're not blindsided i don't think it's that hard to get in front of them g20 was easy everyone knew it was coming everyone was scared a lot of other stuff may not be as obvious but if it meets a threshold through the anal- the analysis of the data it's an easy uh, sell, it's an easy and, the re- sell. I- and the reason you've had trouble luciano is because you're not as talented and as gifted as you need to be. And I've been carrying you all these years. Yeah, but if, yeah. but if you probably, start... <laughs> Go there's on. There's some grain of truth to that because, uh, you know, you've got lots more years of wisdom than I do. Oh. I- I'll give you that. But uh, I-, I will also say that I- 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 I'm going to differ with you. I-, I don't think it's easy. And I'll tell you why I think... First of all, you've got to have, uh, and I know what you're going to say, that it's always up to you to make sure the message gets there. But you also have to have a, a receptive organization or, or audience that's willing to listen to that intelligence because sometimes it's not what they want to hear. And that's been a big challenge in a lot of security programs is getting that that voice in the C-suite or above um, because they tend to get pushed down. And that's the reality. People don't want to know about the bad news. They don't want to know about uh, bad information or things that, that might scare people. I, I love that term when they tell you, well, you don't want to tell anybody because that's going to scare them. Well, that's the reality, you know, and, and so that has been part of my, um, part of my experience and, and, and discussions with others in the business certainly is that challenge. And then the other thing I think you're taking for granted is that we worked for large organizations with established security programs. So there was always a conduit for that information to go up the chain somehow, somewhere. But, you know, there's a lot of companies that are a lot smaller than the organizations that you and I worked for. And some, most of those companies don't even have a security person. How does intelligence get through to those organizations when it pertains to security issues and, and the potential impact of their businesses? That's a big challenge. Well, it is a challenge. But again, and you're entirely right. If there isn't a conduit and if there isn't even a senior security or risk person in the organization, it's going to be very hard for the security guard making $16 an hour. To, this, to see the mm-hmm. CEO to get that message across. 
But that's only going to be a problem once. Because once they get burnt, they're going to realize, it's like crying wolf. We try not to call a cry wolf, you know, and I, I didn't yeah. knock on the door of the C-suite that often. But if I did, it was important. A lot of the time, I just took care of business myself. You know, it wasn't, it was sort of a fine-tuning of the program. It was within my ability to navigate. And I figured they were paying me what they were paying me to manage it for them so they didn't have to worry about it. But anything that has the potential to disrupt in a significant way uh, that they needed to know about, I made sure they knew about it. I didn't get listened to a lot also, but it would only happen once because if, you know, it's not the I told you syndrome type thing, but if someone says, uh, stop smoking cigarettes, or you're going to get lung cancer, say, oh, I'm not going to get lung cancer. Don't worry about it. You know, I'm good. I'm strong. I'm healthy. You have a scare. You're going to listen if you survive that scare. Next time the doctor or your loved one tells you, eat healthy, you know, get enough sleep, don't do dangerous activity. So it is difficult the first time, but I think just like it's our job as leaders to go to other leaders to say, you got to listen, okay? You got to understand the risk or threat. If they don't, you got to take note of that. And it's not that uh, a gotcha moment, but then when there's the opportunity to say, guys, we were asleep last time, we can't be asleep this time. We got to learn. You got to build on your successes, and you got to learn from the, the the blockades that you meet. And listen, there are some organizations. No matter what, you could hit them over the head. You know, the dinosaurs went extinct because they yeah. weren't able to change. You know, and yeah. I think that's maybe happening south of the border. But yeah. I think most organizations, even the C-suite people, even the leaders, even if they're aloof and don't really understand what's happening, they want to make money. They got yeah. they, they they've got to show results. And I think it's really incumbent again on leaders like, uh, you know, our clients, like we were to navigate, navigate effectively. Don't talk unless we have something to say. But when we do talk, let's make sure we talk properly and it's impactful. If we squander the access we have, we just make it difficult or impossible to operate going forward. And I think the example you made about the smaller companies or those that may not have a seasoned VP of security such as you were, or our friends were or are, it's it's an opportunity for those junior leaders to grow. But quite honestly, you know what? A lot of them just don't aren't ready for that yeah. type of leadership, and those companies are at risk. I wanted to sort of, because we are sort of trying to give our listeners some some ideas or some some guidance is the word um, in helping them uh, deliver that intelligence or, or or leverage the intelligence to better protect their businesses. When I was a client, um, one of the one of the tools I would use, or some of the tools I would use to to get that information out there. Obviously, phone call is always the the most direct route. But there were other tools and and, and strategies that I used to to let them understand the value of of intelligence and raise their awareness as to what was going on around them. For example, I would give out uh, alerts on a regular basis if something was coming down the pipe uh, rooftoping for example we had a huge issue in downtown toronto with rooftoppers targeting buildings across the city so i would do up a little alert on on rooftoppers and share that out to the teams i would also have regular quarterly updates with uh, with property managers where we could share with them again sort of what we saw on the horizon so that they could prepare or be aware of what was coming around what was happening in their neighborhoods and things like that um, and then I would also have an annual report where I sort of summarize some of the things that we saw, what our intelligence was telling us about what was coming in the next few months so that we can, again, prepare. What are some of the tools you would use to uh, to market your intelligence or, or communicate your, your intelligence uh, concerns to, to the teams and the strategies that you employ? 
Well, I, I think no different than you. I, I think, uh, you know, in the business, they call them intelligence product. What we did was we created different types of product, intelligence product, to just educate them to create an understanding that there are risks out there, that we're watching these risks, and we're going to let you know what's coming before it comes so that we can uh, operate and manage accordingly. You don't have to hire James Bond. You don't have to get a guy that was in the CIA or CSIS, you know, necessarily. I think when you're having a business meeting on the agenda, when the leaders are meeting, we should say, okay, guys, what are the risks that we're concerned about? What are the things that can affect us? There's market risk. There's a physical risk. There's cyber risk. And then put together some subcommittees and just say, okay, within each one of these risk categories, well, once you have that, you say, okay, these things are meaningful because they can hurt our business. How do we know if we're at risk? Do we need audits? Do we need an, uh, an environmental landscape review? Do we need to be looking or connecting with government officials to see how are companies being uh, impacted right now? And that's the beginning of an intelligence program. It's really understanding what are the things that are important to us? What are the things that can impact the things that are important to us? And, you, you know, what are we going to do about it? Yeah, I, I like the fact that you focused on on employees you already have, that's what I'm trying to say. You don't have to go out and hire a specialist from the CIA to come in and do that for you. Nobody knows your business business better than your own employees. Yes. And that's where your intelligence assessment should start. And then once you understand where those gaps are, what information you need, then you can start, again, researching the, the, uh, the universe and the Internet and figuring out what kind of third-party vendors can support that objective for you. I remember one guy coming in, you know, these high-priced consulting firms, and I'm not going to name them, but we spent a ton of friggin' money on them. And he came in to, to, to give us his, his report on one of our uh, one of our projects. He spent 45 minutes telling us about his excursions into Afghanistan and Iraq. <laughs> and, and, you know, that's great. It's good for you. I'm not knocking you for putting your life on the line. But at the end of the day, it didn't pertain at all to what the hell we had hired them for, to which they spent maybe 10 minutes talking about. In the grand scheme of things, it was worthless to us. And so... Business owners really need to figure out as an internal group what their objectives are, what kind of information they need. But I think, at the, you know, once that's done, take the time to figure out who can, can get you the best intelligence in the best manner at the best value. Because I can tell you there's so many pretenders out there. They carry a big name, um, but very little value. And they go out there and they hire a guy, like I say, who's been to Iraq or Afghanistan has the big acronyms behind his name, whether it be CIA. At the end of the day, can they translate intelligence to something valuable for you? Um, and the fact that they were in a war zone doesn't automatically give them that pass. But business leaders often do that for do give them the pass. No, I agree. It's completely different. And I think we've said this several times during this podcast. No one knows the business better than the people in the business. So you start with that. Once you know what your threats are and what keeps you up at night and what your concerns are, it's at that point you can go to market and interview consultants and companies to help you. But rather than saying, can you uh, set up an intelligence program for me, you're in a much better position to say, this is my business. These are the things I'm concerned about. I need you to tell me how you can monitor right. these risks. You know the risks better than the guy that was in Afghanistan yep. or the CIA. And I'm not putting down anyone, you know, with their no. knowledge or expertise, but no one knows uh, the manufacturing risks, risks associated with manufacturing, whatever it is you're manufacturing, more than you. And the fact that a roadside bomb can be very devastating 
That may not be a risk you're concerned about. What right. you're concerned about is someone stealing your marketing plan. You, you know, and and again, it's okay if you don't know how to protect it necessarily, but you do know that you can't afford to lose that marketing plan. And once you've done that, that's a big part of it. You now know what it is you've got to protect. The third party or the intelligent person then can look at is someone trying to steal it. Someone exactly. trying to compromise it. Yeah. Exactly. The only other thing I wanted to to add that we haven't touched on with respect to intelligence is timing and it's uh, and and what i mean by that is that the urgency behind the intelligence needs to be there for it to have value if you tell me something that that was a threat that's six months old even you know depending on the type of business you run even six hours old it's already on the sort of decline it may not be valid anymore and, and basically it becomes useless before it even gets presented to to the people that need to see it timing and intelligence is critical and I think uh, certainly in military terms, it's critical. I think in business terms, it's just as critical, especially today with the way technology moves things along so quickly. If you're not on top of things and you wait, or valuable information is delayed, you know, hours, days, months before you receive it, your competitors have already reacted to that and they're that much further ahead than you are. So I think timing has to be there for, success, for a successful intelligence program to be good. Yeah, you're entirely right. I think if you have a program, you have to... Uh uh, understand that there's certain levels of intelligence that's going to come across your desk. The purpose of the analyst is to validate the information, the reliability of the information, because if we say that something is going to happen in three days, you can't say, give me a week to think about it. Yeah. You have to have confidence in the information coming in, and that only happens if you understand the process and the organization that you've set up or that you're responsible for, and then you got to act on it. Again, we were just talking, I think, before we started recording a podcast about a situation that has occurred recently, and someone called a person in authority, and he wasn't there to answer the phone. You've got to be there to answer the phone, and not only answer the phone, act on it in a timely manner. Otherwise, don't bother wasting the money or the effort in having an intelligence program. If you can't trust the intelligence, especially when it's validated with a high level of confidence, then you shouldn't be in the intelligence business. But then you miss opportunities. Business is all about taking advantage of opportunity. Yep. So the lesson there to our listeners then is make sure you've got an intelligence program that is relevant and that you're prepared to put in the time, effort, and resources to make it of value. Otherwise, don't get involved with it because it just yeah. becomes another issue. <laughs> so with that, um, I'm, I, I think we have to sign off, Brian, as much as I'd like to continue talking about Intel. Um, and would love to get into examples and things like that. But obviously, the, we just can't do it. We, people don't want to listen to us all day. So I'm going to turn it over to you for any final thoughts on, on the Intel um, uh, segment before we sign off. No, I, uh, I just think that, you know, the whole point of the podcast series that we've developed is to talk to listeners. And, our, you know, our listeners are security people and they're business people. And I like talking to business people because they're the people that really are impacted by Good, decision, good security or bad security, and maybe you don't understand it. And one of the things I hope you're seeing through the series of podcasts is that a security risk management program is a lot more than guns, guards, and gates. I hope we're bringing value. I'm having a lot of fun with you doing this, uh, these podcasts, getting some good feedback, and uh, I hope people are learning something. That's a really good summary. And um, security should be a wholesome view of the business and understanding all the implications in, or, or factors that could impact your operations and then building a program to, to, to mitigate those risks. With that said, um, you know, hopefully this is, is bringing you value. I do uh, enjoy most of my conversations with you. <laughs> uh, 
But uh, it has been a lot of fun and we look forward to doing uh, more of these as, as more feedback comes in. And more importantly, um, if you want to let us know about topics that are of interest to you, just leave us a note and we will do our best to cover those as we move forward and grow this into uh, an interview type of a platform. We have a lot of different ideas we want to try. So we look forward to bringing those to you. Till then, I'm going to sign off and we will be back in two weeks with episode six. Um, and wow. Brian? Yeah, wow. Yeah, wow. Have fun. Thanks a lot, everyone. Be safe. Take care. We'll talk to you again. That concludes this podcast. We hope you enjoyed listening and will join us in a couple of weeks for our latest episode. Please remember to like and follow us on our sponsor's webpage, brianclayman.com, where you can leave us your comments and suggest topics you'd like to hear about in future episodes. Until next time, thanks for listening and don't forget to protect your assets.